let's be honest. Let's just call it out. Like, it's not sales that has not been revenue focused. It's oftentimes marketing. It's oftentimes marketing that is focused on vanity metrics and say that that's what our job is and that we're done. And that creates part of that disconnect. So we have to prove it's going to take a period of time and take a number of sort of proof points, prove that we're actually going to step into the suck with the sales organization and focus on the metrics that really matter. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Our guest in today's episode has over 20 years of experience in marketing, business development, and sales. When he doesn't run his B2B marketing agency servicing clients like Amazon Seagate, Morgan Stanley, or the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, he is a keynote speaker, award-winning blogger, and best-selling author. I'm excited to catch up with the president and founder of Heinz Marketing, Matt Heinz. Matt Heinz, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. We had to shift it around a few times. So I'm glad that it worked out. Where are you based? Where can this podcast find you today? So we're uh, based outside of Seattle, West Coast of the United States. As we do this interview, it's fascinating. You're, you're literally calling in from the future, from tomorrow morning. It's uh, our time. That's right. But yeah, pleasure to be here. <laughs> I will uh, share the lottery uh, numbers with you. Please, yeah. For any listeners in America that haven't had a meeting with Australians before, this is the number one go-to joke for Australians. So be prepared. Brace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, you've got quite a profile in the marketing and sales world, but there might still be a few people that don't know you. So what's your background and what do you do now? I run a company called Heinz Marketing. We help B2B companies sell stuff, really focused on creating more predictable, repeatable pipelines of business across the entire revenue journey for net new customers as well as repeat customers to expand lifetime value. Yeah, I've just been, you know, writing and thinking and speaking on these topics sort of around revenue responsible marketing and predictable pipeline for quite a while and been a fun journey on the along the way. What I love about your journey is I've been of course, stalking you on LinkedIn. And one of the things that I saw is that you actually started out as a print journalist. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that because that journalism mindset is really reflected in the content you put out. And that's why it's so extremely useful. And that's why you've got tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. And I've also worked for a media company that published a newspaper, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age over here in Australia. So oh, cool. I certainly appreciate your background on that front. One thing I really appreciated about journalism school is it didn't just teach you how to write, it teaches you how to tell stories. So in many cases, you know, you have to not just say, okay, how do I tell a long story? How do I tell the full story? But you may have a complex issue and you may they may have given you like four inches of newspaper to write about it, right? I mean, this is back, I'm old enough now that like there really wasn't sort of news online like you have today. And so like you had a print newspaper you had to fit something into. So how do you take those complex issues and not just condense it to something, but make it understandable for your intended audience? Tell them what they need to know. Tell them kind of how they should think about something to help them understand something and sort of come up with their own sort of next steps and what this implies for them. And so I think that that storytelling and that getting into the hearts and minds of your audience to translate the subject matter, thankful that I had that training in college. And I think that that certainly has served me well and served a lot of former journalists who have made their way into various forms of communication and marketing. 
I think another skill set that comes with the journalism profession is independent thinking and mm -hmm. analytic thinking, which I think is also in marketing and sales tremendously helpful because you don't just follow common wisdom, you question assumptions and come to conclusions yourself. So I think that's also certainly something that I personally see in the kind of way you talk about marketing and sales and your content coming through. I appreciate that. You know, I, I went through a phase where I was doing some investigative journalism. So trying to go deep dive on certain issues. And the question you have to ask at that point is not how and what, it's really why, right? And I think a lot of times when we're trying to sort of relate with a prospect and we're trying to connect with them on something that's a really big issue, talking about the here and now, talking about the known, talking about the what's in front of them, that's not as interesting as saying like, why do you feel this way? Like, what's the question that is going to generate emotion, an emotional response, maybe generate an unexpected response from your prospect, from your audience? And so knowing how to ask those questions and really sort of training yourself to think in terms of why, you're going to get at the root issues behind all kinds of things and have fascinating conversations. You're going to build value in real time with your prospects, whether you're in marketing or sales. It's a good discipline to be in the habit of doing. It just generates lots of interesting results. Yeah, I love it. So this podcast is called The State of Sales Enablement and a topic, and I do not get why this still is a topic, <laughs> but it's still part of the conversation. You ask 10,000 marketers and sales leaders whether sales and marketing should be aligned. Everybody would probably say it should be aligned, but then you ask, is it aligned in your organization? And there's still a large proportion that say that's not the case. Why is that still happening? I think the biggest issue in many companies is culture. It's not just that these are separate departments. I don't think there's a problem with being separate departments and separate functions. There isn't a translation of this kumbaya, sitting at sales kickoff, everyone agrees that a revenue number is important to like, what does that look like on Tuesday morning? Like, how do the teams operate and integrate on a regular operational basis? Do the teams trust each other? Do they authentically believe that they have each other's best interests at heart? At the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, when sales is grinding it out to hit their number, is marketing still involved? Is marketing have a vested interest, like a monetary interest, in getting those deals closed? So there are a bunch of tactical things I think a lot of companies do, but that cultural connection, that cultural continuity between those two teams so that they're operating, not just thinking about and strategically focused on, but operating on a daily, weekly basis on the same goals, that piece is missing in a lot of organizations. It is not an easy thing to do. You cannot just announce it. You cannot have a team <laughs> meeting and assume it's going to happen. It's going to take some work and it's going to take a lot of foundational work to put in place. And it's going to take some proof, quite frankly, from marketing to sales in 90% of the cases that you're going to put your money where your mouth is. Like, Let's be honest. Let's just call it out. Like, It's not sales that has not been revenue focused. It's oftentimes marketing. It's oftentimes marketing that is focused on vanity metrics and say that that's what our job is and that we're done. And that creates part of that disconnect. So we have to prove it's going to take a period of time and take a number of sort of proof points, prove that we're actually going to step into the suck with the sales organization and focus on the metrics that really matter. There's a lot of senior business leaders listening to this podcast. So what, what do you think they can do to really start this process, engage the marketing and sales leaders and set the foundation for that culture? You said it's not done by sending out an announcement yeah. from tomorrow onwards, we're aligned. What do you need to do to really make it happen? Well, I think executive alignment is super important. If you are a business leader, making it really clear to your organization, this is a non-negotiable. Like this has to happen. We need to have sort of lockstep alignment between the two teams. 
But give those teams some oxygen and some grace. Know that there are a lot of benchmarks and a lot of pre-existing success stories they can lean on to sort of structure the way that should look. But know that they're probably not going to nail it right out of the gate. And I think a lot of times when we see sales and marketing alignment programs initiate but then fail, it's because those teams expected it to be perfect from the beginning. And when a couple programs didn't work or a couple mistakes were made, it's just a see. See, they're just like always. It's just not working, and we'll go back to what we understood. <laughs> the path to success is paved with failure. Know that things are going to break as part of this, just like with any campaign, but stick with it because the end goal is worth it. We have a model that we developed from some benchmark data from Demand Metric that looks at it's a direct correlation between the degree to which sales and marketing systems are aligned and the percent of revenue goals that are achieved across organizations. It's a direct correlation. But what's most interesting about that data is not the fact that there's a direct correlation. It's the data points they used. And so they don't go from like no integration to minimal integration to moderate to advanced. They go from no integration to ineffective integration to minimal to moderate to advanced it's still an up and to the right directly from every data point. So what that tells me, if you go from not having integration to at least trying and failing, you are still increasing your number. You're still driving greater sales and revenue performance. So it is a journey, but it is worth it from the very early stages. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. To help organizations understand where they are in their sales enablement journey, Kruger Marketing has created a tool called the Sales Enablement Score. The Sales Enablement Score features a 20-question survey focused on the disciplines high-performing organizations have mastered according to leading industry research. Our algorithm calculates a score that indicates how much room for improvement there is for your organization. To calculate your Sales Enablement Score with this ungated and anonymous tool, visit salesenablementscore.com. That's salesenablementscore.com. If you look at the Sales Enablement space, Marketing is just one of the functions that can contribute to making sales successful. But what you're saying about executive buy-in and setting achievable goals and generating incremental wins, I think that's a common theme across all areas of sales enablement. And having dealt with a lot of marketing departments, I can certainly say that those small wins is really where the magic happens. Then not resting on those wins, but then actually expanding on that. That's the secret. But you can't treat this like a campaign. This can't just be something you make sort of part of a monthly sprint. This really is a culture change. And any good culture change is going to take a longer-term commitment to the journey. But it is absolutely worth it. Yeah, exactly. I just recently attended the uh, Sales Enablement Society conference, and there was one presentation. I can't remember who actually did it, unfortunately. But there was a term that I think really well reflects that kind of mindset of just doing it campaign-based and there was random acts of enablement. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's certainly something that might make you sleep better at night if you just want to make a token effort, but it's not really shifting the needle long-term, I don't think. Well, I mean, marketers have been doing this forever, right? We just sort of try to justify our existence by what I think of as the marketing of more, like more clicks, more retweets, more campaigns. As marketers, sometimes we're the only department that will go to a board meeting or a leadership meeting and report not on impact, but on effort and activity. Like we just show this calendar that just has like, hey, look how much stuff we're doing, right? And so it's not about the volume, it's about the effectiveness. I would much rather see a marketing department, I would much rather see a sales enablement effort, simplify things, find the places where you can have the most impact, do less, but have a bigger impact. Lean into those programs as something that is going to have some longevity and long tail of impact as just an inherent part of your sales or marketing culture moving forward. 
in your work with clients at Heinz Marketing, do you see certain industries doing that better than others? Or is that just dependent on the individual organization? I don't see it as much by industry as much as I see it by sort of age and maturity of the business. And so I think, you know, we see by definition a lot of sort of cloud computing software as a service companies sort of doing this a little better than others, in part because, I mean, this whole idea of sales and marketing working together, unfortunately, is a rather novel new thing in the history of sales and marketing teams. So earlier companies, it just wasn't more of an inherent part of their culture from the beginning. The companies we see struggle the most with these are those that are a little older, a lot bigger, where that culture change is, it's a big deal, right? And so doing that holistically is quite a challenge. So figuring out where you can sort of break that down into components of the business, where you can take like lines of business or geographical differences or product units that have their own sort of like P&L, that have their own sales goals and have their own sales and marketing ecosystems. And treating that like an earlier stage startup where you can reinvent the culture within that group, that's a starting point for those bigger companies. So yeah, like age of company tends to be a bigger difference, but it's really just a matter of like how deeply embedded are those cultural elements and what's it going to take to unroot them and plant them together somewhere else. And you speak about a full funnel framework in your content. For those of you not familiar with that term, like what does it describe and what is it all about and how do you make it happen? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of B2B marketers have with the best of intentions focused on the top of the funnel. Meaning like we're going to help build the market, we're going to generate awareness, and we're going to drive demand into the sales team. And so you end up with a funnel. There's a lot of reasons why the funnel isn't a perfect analogy, but it's still operationally useful. So I think what you see is a lot of companies that treat the top of the funnel as marketing's job and the bottom of the funnel as sales' job. And you sort of just divide it in the middle horizontally. Well, first of all, I don't think that that works as well. I think today, especially with complex sales, you see a funnel that's really more split vertically with maybe a diagonal bent, right? Where marketing may own the majority of the work at the top and sales may have the majority of the jobs at the bottom. But that implies that marketing is supporting that effort at every stage of the journey, that you're not done when demand is created, that you need to be thinking about and having influence over the full funnel. Your job as a marketing organization is not to be subservient to sales but it's to support and help drive acceleration and velocity of sales. Let me give you an example. Let's say it's that last day of the month, last day of the quarter, and someone in sales is working on this one last deal. And if you close this deal, you're going to make the month, right? You're going to make the quarter. And this isn't sales team making its quarter. This is the company making its number. Like the sales number is the company number. So this one deal and this one member of the buying committee is just not quite on board, still has an objection. Why wouldn't you as a marketing department be willing to sort of get into the pit with sales and create content for an audience of one? I don't care about impressions. I don't care about going viral. I want one person to see or engage with this content and I want to change their mind so that they say yes. That is a win. And that is not seen by a lot of marketing organizations as an efficient use of time because it doesn't pass that marketing of more test. But if it had the impact of getting that deal closed, like what's more important in that moment than not only getting that deal closed so it's a win for the company, but think we talked earlier about those proof of concept, right? That proof to the sales team that you are aligned with them. Such a great example of showing to the end of the sales process, we're a part of this. But the whole problem with the funnel then, I mean, and this is, you know, we've sort of expanded the way we've thought about this since we published the book, Full Funnel Marketing, is the bottom of the sales funnel is really the middle of what you could call like the revenue bow tie, right? Like you close the deal, but if you're in a software as a service business, if you're in a recurring revenue business, hell, even if you just have something that you want to continue to sell or upsell, that's the beginning of your relationship. 
And so the idea that from that point forward, you continue to reinforce value, continue to reinforce the why. Maybe it's not as much with sales, but now marketing is partnered with the account management and customer service teams. So again, this the traditional sort of quote unquote functions of marketing at the top of the funnel is a it's clearly a starting point chronologically, but it's the beginning of a long journey of marketing influence on revenue metrics that matter. I want to expand on that part that you mentioned about sales and marketing having just different degrees of involvement throughout the funnel. So you mentioned how marketing can contribute to the bottom of the funnel. How can sales contribute to the top of the funnel? Well, when you're at the beginning of the process, especially with sort of enterprise sales, especially with sort of named account approaches, it's fine if you want to start put content in front of people, send people emails, engage with them with digital content. But we're still humans and we still crave relationships, right? And I think that increasingly the research among B2B sales efforts is telling us that with all these commercial insights that exist in the market, with the plethora of information, what buyers need, what buyers are saying they're needing and they need in the research is being characterized as sense-making. Someone please tell me which of this content to read and understand. Someone please help me understand what all this means for me and my company and my unique set of variables here where I work for the company as well as for me personally. And so, yes, content can do that. Yes, marketing can do that. But I think it changes the role of that salesperson to be able to engage at the very top of the process. The last thing you want is for your sales team to only get engaged with an enterprise prospect when they're ready to buy. Because now your sales rep is a commodity, right? You may have established some credibility with your content, but they're going to buy from someone. That person is still going to be the sense maker and the guide for that purchase process. Build that relationship up front, supported by your content and by the customized message of the right person at the right time. And leverage that personal relationship from the beginning. In enterprise sales, that is so important still to this day and will continue to be important. And I would argue that it will be more important in the future as more companies attempt to go more digital and attempt to automate more of the process until robots start buying from robots, which well, maybe will happen someday in the future. <laughs> if it's still just you and I making this decision, we still want a relationship. We still want to know that we've got someone at that company who understands us and who has our back and is helping us in the process. And so, yeah, having those, having the right salesperson, the right individuals involved at the early stages, super important. Yeah, I love that. I think that also changes the kind of skill set that you assume sales should have so much. Yeah, It's way more analytical and it's way more consultative than it used to be. I think that whole mindset of being more analytical and curating information that's not only created by your business, but also curating third-party sources to actually help buyers understand the space and the trends in the industry. And then as a conclusion, how the solution that you're trying to sell them actually defends them from disruption, prepares them for new trends and so on. I think this is such a big one at the moment that still not a lot of businesses do, which is also a massive opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And I think that just because we have the ability to create more automation, we have a mandate, I think, to create, to help make that automation, to help make the digital feel more human. And I think that there's a balance there that is entirely possible. And I think we're still all grappling with how best to do it. But just because we can go all digital, just because more of these channels exist, doesn't mean that that's how we are naturally inclined to engage. I mean, so we're doing this through some version of Zoom, some version like, you know, if we were doing this 10 years ago, we might have just done a phone call or so, and it probably wouldn't have been as good auto quality. Effects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you and I can do this just looking at each other digitally is quite frankly a miracle. The fact that I can talk to you in the future, I'm going to use the joke again, also a miracle. 
But like we've had this technology for what, maybe five or 10 years? Like we've been talking and engaging face-to-face as humans for tens of thousands of years. So we are hardwired to want the personal connection. We are hardwired to want a relationship with someone. And your marketing automation campaigns and your custom AI sort of intense signal website personalizations can create a lot of efficiency, but it only goes so far. Yeah, exactly. And I think on that front, just as a side note, I think the big problem that I see is businesses trying to automate things that haven't worked manually in the first place. Right. So they don't even have proof that the manual process works before they implement the automation. And I think that shiny new toy syndrome. Well, what are you automating? Yeah. Like if you don't understand who it is you're selling to, I mean, it's one thing to have a persona, right? Like, oh, I'm talking to people with this job. But you got to put personas in motion. You got to put them in motion across a buying journey. You got to put them in motion in terms of how they're going to engage with the buying committee. One of your biggest jobs as a seller is not just to convince someone that they have a problem we're solving, but help that whole internal buying group, both direct buyers as well as influencer, has to be consensus that a change needs to be made. And then of a consensus that change should be made with you. That consensus building is part of those personas in motion. Again, we were talking earlier about getting to the why. Like, what is the why for the organization? What is the why for the individual? What is the why for sub-segments of that buying group? Now we're talking. Like, I mean, you can wait for a very long time to talk about the features and details and specs of your product. None of that matters unless they buy into the why, unless they are committed to change and why that change is necessary and what it will deliver to them. Yeah, I agree. I get on my soapbox here pretty easily, Felix. (laughs) That's right. Calm down, Matt. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of sales enablement best practices, I'm sure you work with marketing teams and sales teams alike. What are some of the best practices you see and you can recommend to marketing teams who want to better enable their sales teams? Well, we were talking earlier about technology for technology's sake. I think by thinking about strategy first, process second, technology third is a really great way of sort of organizing how you approach sales enablement. Strategy is going to come out of understanding the buying journey, understanding the stages your prospects go through, understanding how those buying stages map to the way you are managing your sales process. And then thinking about at those different points, like what is needed to build confidence? I mean, a lot of times we talk about sort of challenging objections. What are you doing to build confidence with your prospect along that buying journey? And so if you start with your strategy on that, the strategy is in a process. Okay, like how do I do this consistently on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis with the prospects that are ready for it? How do I provide a set of steps? I mean, like you don't start with a technology tool. You start with a checklist. The checklist is based on your strategy, what you say you're going to do. What is the step-by-step process to do it? And what would we do if I had a sales rep today doing it? If I hired four more sales reps, how would they all know how to follow that process? And then once you've got a process in place, yeah, you want to automate as much of it as possible, like within reason. But I think thinking about it in that progression, strategy first, process second, technology and automation third, there may be certain things that never get to number three because they're more effective if they're done in a more manual way. There were things that technology didn't allow us to do from an AI standpoint five years ago, that now we've got systems that can read the tea leaves of intent signals across multiple platforms and be able to translate what should happen next. Like that is really exciting to be able to see that. What happens next might still just be a phone call from a person to a person, but knowing who to call, when to call them, what to talk about based on what context. There's magic and science in doing that well, but again, strategy, process, technology. 
One of the things that I saw you recently talk about on LinkedIn is, which also struck a nerve with me and really speaks to that full customer journey mindset is the execution of a land and expand strategy. What are your thoughts on that? What do you see going wrong and what do you think could be done to make it more effectively? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things, if you saw that, this is going to sound familiar, but I think one is celebrating the land as the win. You know, a lot of cases like land is a great beachhead, but in terms of revenue impact, in some cases, land isn't much different than an MQL. If you get someone as on a free trial, like, is that considered a land because they're now using your product? I don't think so. So I think thinking about knowing that that is a step in the buying journey, but might represent just a small fraction of the potential value of the account in the relationship you could have. So just calling a spade a spade and saying, like, just because they're closed on something doesn't mean they're closed one. Two is companies, I see so many that have a land and expand model where 90% of the focus is on land, right? If I can just get them in, if I can just get them using the product, if I can just get them to sort of get that free trial, they'll figure the rest out for themselves. And that doesn't necessarily happen. Depending on sort of how complex it is, some people say, oh, just start to use the product. Well, if it's a complex product, they're not going to know what they're doing. They're going to get frustrated and they're not going to continue. So thinking about this from, like we talked about, just sort of sales enablement to getting to that closed one. Think of closed one as the completion of expand. And if you think about that, then the land is a touch point in somewhere in the middle. And the land is now just sort of a milestone towards a future goal. Make sure you have a proactive strategy and buying journey for that entire process, not just that first milestone. Yeah, I love that. I think customer lifetime value is often something that is being seen as something that just happens. Mm -hmm. I think there's real potential to tackle customer lifetime value, as you said, as a goal, as something proactive that you need to nurture and achieve. Oh, absolutely. Which also then, if you change that mindset, then suddenly you need to change the incentives across your organization to actually make it happen. True. Do you see customer service departments being more heavily involved in selling? Potentially. I think we've got a lot of work to do to sort of continue to rethink the way that we sort of as organizations sort of divvy up roles and responsibilities in managing the customer relationship. You know, in some cases, you will have a sales organization that has been trained to sell complex solutions. And our, we assume then that we can hand that deal off to a renewals team that is an account management team that as smart and as trained as they are, are not sellers. So I think that, yes, a customer service team can do upsell, renewals, expansion, but they have to be trained as such. You have to hire people with the right skills and make sure you're giving them the content tools, processes to be successful in doing that. In those last two questions, it seems like that the one commonality is assuming the prospect's going to figure it out, assuming the customer will see the value and will continue. Even if they're getting the value doesn't mean that they see it, have translated it, have calculated it. Your job as a brand needs to be continuing to help your prospects see and customers see what they're getting from you. If you're not pointing it out, you shouldn't assume that the customers are seeing it and recognizing it. So I think that continual selling on the what in terms of impact, but the why in terms of need, that never goes away. So when we talk about sales enablement, it's probably like marketing automation. It's not automated. It's kind of like account-based marketing. It's not just marketing. Sales enablement has to be really sort of think about this as sort of buyer and customer enablement, maybe buying journey enablement, where it goes well past close one. No, I love that. You spoke about a few trends, you know, like that you're seeing, including AI from a technology point of view, you know, sales and marketing alignment and whatnot. What are your predictions for the next few years, especially in the technology space? How do you think that the buying process will change and how the interaction between go-to-market teams and buyers will change? 
I would say two things. One, I think we are going to unlock the potential of data in a deeper way. We don't necessarily need more data. We are sitting, many of us are sitting on reams of data that are unused. Data in terms of what your customers are doing with your product, where they're going deep, where they're not. The heat signals from the data we already have or have access to in real time on the river that's flowing through our business every day, it's incredible. And I'm starting to see merging more companies that are starting to figure out how to better get a handle on that data, how to figure out how to create insights out of it, and how to then create next steps and operationalize next steps on that data. So I think that data intelligence and execution is going to be really big. I think that throughout that process of getting better at data and figuring out how to use artificial intelligence to determine what the right next steps are, we have to continue to humanize sales and marketing. So we can have things that are happening on an automated basis. We can have triggers all day long, but you will never sell something to a building. It's always going to be a person. And so I think you still have to create that human element in this process. And the closer you can stay to that, Again, like back to the beginning of this conversation, just go back to those journalism roots. Like who is the audience and how do you make this relevant to them? How do you get it so that you are a trusted authority throughout this process? I think that will that will continue to be important. And quite frankly, I think as many companies try to sort of automate and create efficiency in their sales and marketing, those that do that well, that figure out how to keep that human element in their sales and marketing are going to stand out and benefit that much more. Excellent. We've come full circle. We've arrived at journalism again. <laughs> Matt. Thank you so much for joining today. Where can people find you online if you want to engage with your content more? I spend a lot more time these days on LinkedIn doing some interesting things, lots of sort of written content, a lot more video content on LinkedIn. Our whole team is involved in creating content on HeinzMarketing.com, blog posts. We do a lot of research to try to better understand what's going on in the market today and what benchmarks are emerging. So HeinzMarketing.com, at HeinzMarketing on Twitter. Find me, Matt Heinz, on LinkedIn. If there's something you're not seeing, you want to get it, just Matt at HeinzMarketing.com is my email. Looking forward to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com slash learn. That's K-R-U-E. G-E-R marketing.com slash learn.